Hey, welcome NFL football fans. It's that time again, time for another edition of NFL Football Talk. I'm your host, Charles E. Smith Jr. This is an Inside Sports production presented by Humanica Media. And here we are all the way up to week nine of the 2017 NFL season. So, hey, what better time? We'll go ahead and give you an NFC preview this week and uh, see where they're, where they're going here at midseason. Uh, see what's who's trending up, who's trending down, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything like that. Next week, we're going to uh, do the AFC. This week is going to be all about the NFC. Also, we got all the latest NFL news, injury updates, and such. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get right into it. As you know, I do not work alone here. I do enlist the help of only the very, very best. So here he is, uh, the man many of you already follow on Twitter, at Chris L Sports. And if not, you should be. He's got some uh, great stuff, some great wisdom, and always entertaining. One of my favorite East Coast intellectuals, a proud graduate of Rutgers University from somewhere in an undisclosed location in Southern California. Here is the main man, Chris Lardieri. Chris, what's happening, man? Charles, always appreciated. Thank you very much. Um, I guess this week is all about more injuries and trades in the NFL. Uh, you know, one, one of the former being uh, typical ho-hum, the latter kind of a rarity. Yeah, that's true. That's, it's crazy because we look at, uh, you know, in the preseason, we all, we're already down Ryan Tannehill and Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater was injured, injured last season, still hasn't played. And then uh, a few weeks ago it was Aaron Rodgers, then it was Carson Palmer. And now just this week we find out Andrew Luck has been shut down for the season. And today, Thursday, December 2nd, we just found out that Deshaun Watson, the sensational rookie quarterback of Houston. Now, you, you got to look at Houston, though. After the elation of the World Series and their first win in franchise history for the Astros, then they get this news. He's injured in practice. He's done for the season, ACL. And we got to remember just how well he was doing. 19 TD passes in his first ever, first seven NFL games. Four games of more of four touchdown passes. And, uh, you know, this is a team that all, also had already lost their two best defensive players in uh, J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless. So while it's uh, just fantastic on one side there with the Houston Astros winning, but the uh, Houston Texans just can't seem to catch a break. No, really a, a shame because Watson was probably on his way to winning Rookie of the Year. It was a phenomenal game against Seattle mm -hmm. last week. People are already calling it the Game of the Year. Um, <laughs> really a, a great story. And for something this fluky, it just happened in practice, not in contact in an actual game like poor Zach Miller of the Bears. Um, really, really sad. And uh, I guess the city of Houston used up all their, their sports juju or karma with the the Astros, really unfortunate because I was, I was looking forward to seeing if the Texans could make a run. I mean, how long have they been waiting for a quarterback in that city? Yeah, that's that's true. Well, I would say this, though. Uh, definitely next June, if you go to Vegas like I do and place bets on prospective teams to make it to the Super Bowl, Houston would have to be one because you figure everybody's going to be coming back with a vengeance, Deshaun Watson, and not only that, but J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless are going to be there. And I think you have to – it has to be Mojo because Juju, I think, has to do with uh, voodoo, and I think that is saved specifically for the New Orleans Saints who have had some great Juju over the last five games. Yeah, with a capital G, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, uh, Drew Brees kind of has a uh... – a mediocre game for Drew Brees, and the Saints still win with the ground game and the defense. So, uh, yeah, something's uh, going on down there in the Big Easy, huh? Yep, definitely. And then, of course, a trade deadline just passed, and 
We'll get into the uh, NFC report card here in just a moment. But notably, of course, is Jay Ajayi being traded from the Dolphins. He goes, and this is a rich get richer because the Philadelphia Eagles already having a terrific season. They got LeGarrette Blunt in the backfield, and now they got uh, a hammer and a hammer with Jay Ajayi in the backfield. And then questionable... Two, Kelvin Benjamin getting traded out of Carolina. Now, you're going to leave Cam Newton without Kelvin Benjamin, who's his best receiver, while he's already done, uh, down their, uh, their security blanket tight end in Greg Olson, who's gone for probably another month, I think, into December before he's back with that ankle. So, interestingly, that they kind of stripped down things there in Carolina. Yeah, that I don't understand, and neither did Cam Newton. That's uh, something he and I will agree with in, in one of his press conferences. But you know, some people theorize it may have been due to his weight. I mean, um, look, uh, I don't care if the guy's a little overweight or what. Like you said, he's his number one receiver, uh, came back from an injury and really uh, was, as the Panthers have kind of turned their fortunes here the last few weeks, has really been someone that Newton looks towards. And um, I really don't understand this one at all. Maybe the uh, you know Mike Shola didn't like him anymore, or Ron Rivera. I can only theorize. Getting back to the Ajayi one, I mean, uh, on both levels, I really don't understand this. I know he was in Adam Gase's dog. Right. Yeah, we'll have to see what happened there with uh, with Ajayi. I don't know, but uh, let's go ahead and I believe we got frozen up here. If Chris can hear me and reconnect, but yeah, Jay Ajayi getting traded. Uh, out of Miami and uh, kind of sudden for him. And then we talk about Kelvin Benjamin. Then the other thing is Jimmy Garoppolo, the backup quarterback in New England, getting abruptly traded somewhat to uh, San Francisco. So New England figured they're going to ride the Brady train for as far as it can go. Okay, be just a moment here while we attempt to uh, reconnect here with Mr. Lardieri. Okay. Looks like Chris has having some, we're having some technical difficulties here, a little bit of technical difficulty. Chris is not having a difficulty. It's, uh, you know, the, all this modern technology. It's fantastic when it's working, but when it's not, it makes you uh, want to pull your hair out. And let me just go ahead and remind everybody that uh, it's inside sports is not just about football. Uh, we do touch on all sports, and we do have Gerald Glassford and Anthony Barbarin who cover NBA for us. And they'll be giving you updates now that NBA is in full swing. They'll be giving you updates every uh, every week. And I believe we got Chris back on the line here. Now here. Chris, you're back. We lost you there for a minute, man. I don't know what happened. I don't know. just went dead. Went yeah. dead. And my, my, uh, my router's not even blinking. I don't know what happened. Okay. Well, hey, we were just talking about, uh, we were just talking about the trades. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin, you know, going out of, you know, leaving Carolina, the Jai trade, and then, you know, I just brought up uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, though it looks like uh, the, the Patriots have decided to ride the Brady train for as far as it can go. And uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is now in San Francisco to be the quarterback of the future. You know, I, I like that trade for the 49ers. I mean, uh, think about it this way. They don't have to go out into free agency and spend a lot of money on Kirk Cousins like a lot of people thought uh, would happen. They don't have to worry about risking a you know, top two, three, or four pick on a unproven college quarterback um, guys learned under the best of Brady and Belichick. And you know, even if they do sign with the big money, relatively speaking, I don't think it would be as big as what cousins would want. So good right. trade on the New England side. I get it. They got to trade him. He's likely going to walk in free agency and they'd get no compensation. And Belichick loves those number two picks uh, with where the 49ers are playing this year. That might end up being the equivalent of a late first rounder. It'll be so high, but uh, 
Why trade him now with no backup? I know Brady's doing well, and he seems to be the ageless wonder, eating his avocado ice cream and doing his exercises. But uh, as we know, uh, look at Aaron Rodgers, et cetera. He's one hit away from uh, the season going up in flames. So a uh, bit of a risk there, but um, we're guessing Belichick and crew know what they're doing. Yeah, that's true. We've learned not to second-guess him over the years. And in case you're wondering, uh, in, as in Houston, they signed uh, Matt McGloin to be their backup quarterback or a potentially starter who knows but anyways they didn't sign Kaepernick but I just had to say that I don't want to open that can of worms because I am so over the whole Kaepernick thing so let's go into breaking down the uh, NFC here we'll start in the let's start in the uh, NFC West we're out here of course so uh, NFC West Seattle Seahawks it seems like every time it seems like they're about to falter but here they are atop the division, tied with the Rams. Uh, they won four straight games. And, you know, how they're doing it, I mean, uh, uh, just the toughness, for, toughness of Russell Wilson, uh, the veteran defense coming up with timely plays, just Seattle, they know how to get it done. Yeah, they do. And it's going to look like it'll be an interesting two-horse race between them and the Rams down the stretch. A big rematch of an earlier season game uh, up at Century Link in Seattle. So, uh I think we can count out the Cardinals and the aforementioned 49ers. But uh, what's interesting is, you know, Wilson lit up that Houston secondary last week. Uh, (laughs) Let's see how teams start start to defend them. Yeah, I've got that revolving door at running back. If uh, the ground game's not working and Russell's got to rely on just throwing the ball, that's when teams seem to key on him. But uh, so far, you know, they made a trade for an offensive lineman with Houston this week. So maybe that'll help solidify things. But – Looks like it'll be an interesting race down here in the second half of the season. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm I'm tempted to, you know, it's it, it's hard to call. You could call the Rams, you could call the Seahawks, but I would say anything like this when it's tight, I go I tend to go with the veteran presence. So I still think that you know the Seahawks are kind of the the class of that division, and then the Rams though surprising they're coming up. The Rams look like a playoff team, and who knows what will happen in the second season. But uh, looking at the NFC East, where, you know, Jared Goff is there with the Rams quarterbacking, but Carson Wentz, uh, hottest quarterback in the league right now. Philadelphia's won six straight. Now they have Jay Ajayi. So one thing, uh, out here in the West, we're going to get that big clash. If you're wondering, yes, the Stars did align December 10th at the L.A. Coliseum. It will be those Philadelphia Eagles and Carson Wentz playing the Rams in a game out here. It should be fantastic. Jared Goff against Carson Wentz. But uh, what do you think of the NFC East? I, I think, by the way, the Browns will not be watching that game because they probably uh, wish they had either of those quarterbacks. But, uh, look, it's it's <laughs> Eagles and everyone else. The, the Redskins kind of could have made their move by beating Dallas last week. It didn't happen. Ezekiel uh, Elliott now finally will be – serving his six games to split Fadden and Morris are capable backups, but uh, I don't think they put the fear in defenses that Elliott does. And the Giants at this point, I think they're just uh, playing to solidify how high in the first round they'll be picking. That's a team that's on the verge of a mutiny with Janoris Jenkins being suspended now. Right. So I think at this point, it's just a matter of how much of the house will be cleaned. Yeah, that's true. And you know, when I look at the Redskins though, and I got to look at the Cowboys. Now, I, clearly I think that Philadelphia is going to be the class of that that uh, division there. I thought they would be really take kind of a dip when Sproles got injured early in the season, but they overcame that and are still a solid team, very solid team. In fact, uh, 
you know, they might make it all the way to the Super Bowl this year. But with Dallas and Washington, a couple of things, when I watched that Dallas-Washington game, and like I said, Dallas is kind of a prove-it-to-me team still. And when I watched that Washington game, that was a Washington team that was decimated by injuries. All their, some of their offensive linemen had literally gotten there the day before the game to try to fit in. And still, they were in it all the way to the end. So you look at Washington, you say, yeah, they've given up at least 30 points over the last in each of the last four games. But I think there's still hope there because Dallas beat them, I think it was, what was it, 33 to 19, something, something along those lines. But they didn't really have a drive over. They only have one drive that was over about 30 or 40 yards. So it's not like their defense is really collapsing in Washington. It's a matter of, there's uh, offense, there's kind of fumbles, interceptions, things like that that are going wrong, so there's problems on the offensive line. But I still think Washington could right the ship and be okay uh, down the stretch. And Dallas, they still, uh, I'm looking at them, they still haven't really truly beaten anyone yet. Yeah, and their schedule gets really hard down here in the second half, whereas uh, the Redskins in previous years have kind of struggled at the get-go and, and rallied some. So can't rule the Redskins out yet, but I feel as though the Eagles keep beating up on inferior teams. They're just going to distance themselves and really at the yeah. uh, at the turn take a lead that's insurmountable. Yeah, there we go. So I think we can, we're both going Eagles at this point and uh, playing well, making all the right moves and all the way up and down the roster. Offense, defense, uh, the coaching is good with Doug Peterson, and I like what they're doing in the front office there. So let's jump over into the uh, NFC South. You know, we talked about – Carolina and some of the questionable moves they've made. Uh, the New Orleans Saints, and you know they've won five straight games. Nobody's really talking too much about them because of the success of Philadelphia, but they got rid of Adrian Peterson after a few games, and they've just kept on rolling since then. But what I liked about this was the efficiency of the last win that the Saints had, and like you said, it wasn't about Drew Brees going deep all the time. It was the controlling the ball, the run game, and it looks like they're finally becoming a complete actual football team here in the latter stages of Breeze's career where they're not trying to protect a five-point lead by throwing the ball 60 yards down the field. Now they can actually eat up some clock like you're kind of supposed to do in the fourth quarter when you have a lead. Yeah, and with the two-headed monster of Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, it's, it's really right. nice they can spell each other a little bit of a change of pace and you don't have the log jam with Adrian Peterson in the backfield now. And I, I think that really helps because, I mean, uh, there are points where it looks like the Bears are going to get – back in that game but the, the Saints just kept eating clock up mm -hmm. and anytime uh, Trubisky seemed to get a drive they get a key turnover so I like I like the way they're playing it it's old kind of NFC East uh, as Peyton learned under Bill Parcells and with the Giants style football and it wins games yep definitely so I think we both agree that uh, in there and you know we got to look at the let's look at the other side of it teams that were a disappointment uh, Tampa Bay Tampa Bay has lost four straight games. This was supposed to be the year they kind of jumped up. They were going to reach that next level. Uh, Deshaun Jackson has kind of been, what, a bust out there? Uh, things are, the wheels are coming off in Tampa Bay. What would be the reason for that? Oh, very simple. It's the hard knocks jinx. I mean, nothing more, nothing less. <laughs> any, any team that seems to be on that show underachieves, I guess. And Jameis Winston can't hold on to the football for right. whatever reason. I want to say he's got eight fumbles already. And, and we saw we saw a little bit of that in the uh, in the hard knocks shows where he kind of forces the ball and throws interceptions. But now he's just not holding on to the ball. The defense, which everyone thought was their strong suit, has really been getting lit up. And, you know, the, the Panthers beat them down there in their own stadium last week. So it doesn't look good. And if this does continue, I mean, we've got to probably put Dirk Cutter on the obligatory hot seat, right? 
Yeah, most definitely. And we didn't talk about the Atlanta Falcons, who were in the Super Bowl last year, because, well, what the heck are they doing in Atlanta? We mentioned Steve Sarkeesian last week as far as the offensive coordinator, and Matt Ryan doesn't look comfortable yet. So that's kind of really kind of iffy there in, in, in uh, ATL. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I think people really underestimated the the value that Kyle Shanahan had to that offense and, and uh, you know, um, why they're not getting the ball to Julio Jones and Devontae Freeman more often, I don't know. I, I guess there we just attribute that to the curse of Sarkeesian. I mean, uh, you know, look what he did to Alabama in the national championship game, right? That's a trend. That's true. I'll drink to that. Okay, and let's go to the NFC North. Yeah, sorry, that was bad. That was bad. I couldn't resist. Okay. <laughs> NFC North, where, hey, this is surprising. I don't know if anyone knew this out there. Chris, did you know this? Did you know Minnesota Vikings with, I don't know exactly who, playing quarterback? They've won four games in a row. Were you aware of this? I do. It's a great case, Keenum, and say what you will about him during his Rams tenure. Nice guy. He was very nice to my son at training camp and gave him his towel. And uh, <laughs> I can tell you, seeing him in person, he's not much taller than me. So to say he's six foot is uh, probably stretching it a little, no pun intended. <laughs> I think it's a great story. Look, even with Teddy Bridgewater healthy, it doesn't look like Keenum's going to give up control of that job, and uh, he's doing just enough to win, and frankly, he's uh, playing better than Sam Bradford did last year. And with that defense and uh, the fact that even though they, they lost Cook with a, with a big injury, you know, that two-headed monster at running back seems to be controlling the ball, and they're doing just enough to win in a very winnable division. Yeah, it's true, with, especially with Aaron Rodgers down for the count probably – uh, this year, we'll see what Hundley brings to the table at QB for the Packers. But, you know, the Detroit Lions, they started off okay, and suddenly uh, everyone was kind of starting a love affair with them. The Lions have, have lost three games in a row. And we know Chicago is rebuilding. I do think uh, Mitch Trubisky, though, I think he might offer Chicago some hope. I've seen some good things about him. He tries to make plays, he moves, he's got a good arm. I mean, at this point, he's still learning. He forces the ball a little, but I agree with you. He looks, looks very athletic, doesn't look completely lost out there. So uh, it's good to get him some reps now in a year where there are really low expectations. Yeah, definitely. But I think, uh, hey, Minnesota, it, it may be their division to lose right here at this point because Detroit is trending down. Like I said, Chicago, the rookie QB, we don't know what he's going to do. And Green Bay. Uh, losing Aaron Rodgers. So Minnesota sneaking in, I think, may go ahead and take this division this year. Who could have seen it coming? Yeah, and, you know, they're going to go to the Super Bowl, right? Oh, wait, no one's ever played in their home stadium. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, Super Bowl would be a bit of a stretch. But, uh, yeah, so there you go. That's the NFC report card. And we'll see how it all plays out this week as they enter the games of week nine. And then, as I said, next week, AFC, we'll uh, talk about them. We'll see what's happening. So before we get into the pick segment of the show and also the Gambler's Delight and our fantasy football segment, uh, Mr. Lardieri, you always have some good wisdom to share with the fans. Uh, what you got for us today? Sure. I'm going to uh, kind of change course a little bit here. You know, you and I talked about this off air, how much we enjoyed the baseball playoffs and the World Series, especially here in L.A. I mean, the Dodgers completely captivated this area to the point where you know, the house I've been living in with my family for many years, by far, we had the lowest amount of trick-or-treaters. Uh, <laughs> we did see numerous people watching the game in their driveway with the fire pits going. Never seen anything like that. Now, that said, this team had Dodger fever. 
Unfortunately for the uh, Dodger fans, they lost. But let's see if this momentum can carry over to the L.A. Rams. I think people are going to wake up here in the next few days and realize, hey, football team here. Are they going to get behind them? Are they not? The Chargers that we discussed just have been an afterthought. But, uh, you know, look, with the NBA and the NHL in the beginning of very long seasons, uh, this is ripe time for the Rams to kind of capture that fan base and the momentum that the Dodgers gave this season. So let's see what happens. Yeah. There we go. And then when I, hey, I just remember being a kid growing up here in Southern Cal, and it was always about, it was the Dodgers and the Rams. And then you had the Lakers, you know, but that was in the 70s. The Lakers, Magic hadn't arrived, so he just kind of had Kareem and a bunch of other guys. But it was all about uh, the Rams and the Dodgers. So, yeah, we'll see what's happening here. So let's go ahead and get into the pick segment this week for week nine. And what we do is we take five of the more intriguing matchups, kind of give you our take on those, and We've done pretty well this season. Overall for the season, I'm sitting at 30 and 10 on the year. I was 3 and 2 last week. Chris was also 3 and 2 last week. Uh, he's sitting at 23 and 17 on the year. And here is Mr. Lardieri to break down our first matchup, which is a big uh, NFC South tilt. Yeah, the Atlanta Falcons, they're actually uh, as of last check giving a point. They head into Charlotte to play the Panthers. Key NFC South battle. I feel as though uh the team loses here, and if New Orleans keeps winning, you know, you just could have wild card ramifications. Um, I do the, the Falcons went into the Meadowlands and basically a monsoon and pulled out a win against a, a Jets team that's really been scrappy and overachieved this year, but even still, it's exposed some of their problems. I think with Luke Weekly back with Carolina, this could be an ugly game, even though you would think both teams had high powered offenses, even going back a year or two ago, but. Uh, you know, the way the, the Falcons are slogging around, I, I like the way the Panthers' D's been playing. Cam's been doing just enough to win. Uh, I think the differentiator is the Panthers are at home. I'm going to pick Carolina. Okay, well, with uh, with Carolina, well, I think here's what's going to happen is you've got this week now where I think Cam Newton kind of has to get over the loss of Kelvin Benjamin and truly let the reality of that set in that he's not going to be there. And, you know, he's without Greg Olson. So I think there's going to be a transition week here because Carolina's not exactly pounding the rock either. So this is going to be, I think Atlanta gets a little bit lucky here in catching Carolina in this transitional period. So Carolina may be okay in a couple of games, but I think right now there's still going to be that shock. The offense will be a little bit out of sync. So I'm going to go with Atlanta here to win uh, this tilt and get to five and three on the season. Deep down, I think I know you still have that fascination with Matty Ice, but you know you like to rip him. You do like to pick him week to week. <laughs> okay, so next game, Cincinnati Bengals, and they've won three of their last four games. They're sitting at three and four. On the outer edges of the AFC playoff picture, they're going to be in Jacksonville to take on the Jaguars. Jaguars, as we know, they win every other game that they play. They're sitting at four and three on the year. Uh, the Bengals are a five-and-a-half-point favorite at this point. And, well, you got to go with the momentum. I think the Bengals, they've, they've been playing well as of late. And I'm going to go with the Bengals here in Jacksonville. For one thing, Jacksonville cannot shake this every other win thing. It's what they do. And I just, it, I, I don't know if that's uh, reason enough to take a team because they lose every other game and they're due for a loss. But I'm going to go ahead and take the Bengals here. What do you think? I'm going to differ, and only on a technicality. Jacksonville was off last week, so they technically didn't win or lose. So, <laughs> two fans here, they, even though on paper it'll look like a two-game winning streak, they're going to win this game. I think the Demet backpounding the ball, uh, just keep the ball to Blake Bortles' hands and hope for an Andy Dalton turnover, and then you've got a magic elixir for success. 
Yeah, I get that logic. I just think Cincinnati's defense is a little bit too good for them. That's all. So they're going to make Bortles beat them. So we'll see. It could be an entertaining matchup. This is going to kind of be an under-the-radar game, but uh, it could be very entertaining for those who bother to watch it. Uh, okay, Chris, uh, next game for us. The uh, Baltimore Ravens coming off a big spanking of your Miami Dolphins and proving <laughs> to be a fool and thinking that Matt Moore was a valid fantasy quarterback last week and hmm. the Dolphins could win this game. Uh, they go into Tennessee coming off a bye. The Ravens are getting three and a half points. Marcus Mariota, hopefully his hamstring is healed. Looks like uh, Corey Davis may be coming back off the, uh, the injury list. Um, ultimately, whether Flacco plays, you know, he got dinged up last Thursday night, or it's Ryan Mallett, who I'm amazed is still in the league. Not really too concerned about who quarterbacks for Baltimore. I'm going to pick the Titans. I think that, you know, with the, there's a great opportunity for this Titans team to make a move and win, which, uh, which looks to be a very weak AFC South. So I'm going to go with Mariota and company. All right. Well, from what I understand, Flacco is cleared to play. Um, so on that with Flacco in the lineup, I, I'm going to take Baltimore, uh, either way, Flacco in the lineup and with, you know, Mariota a little bit dinged up. And this is one of those things when you've got a, when you got a solid defense, I think they can make the difference in the game here because Tennessee has not been exactly lighting up the league. In fact, 12 to nine in overtime over Cleveland last week. So I'm taking Baltimore again, going with the veteran presence to uh, be the difference in the game. I'm taking Baltimore to uh, go into Tennessee, and Baltimore gets to five and four in that tough AFC North and keeps themselves in the playoff picture. Yeah, I know, uh, oh, Charles. We're not agreeing anymore. I don't know what's going on. If there's some sort of trend or what, but something to keep an eye on. Yeah, we'll see. So the next game, this should be uh, highly entertaining here. Kansas City Chiefs at six and two. They're going to be in Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Cowboys sitting at four and three. Uh, we mentioned they beat Washington last week, thirty-three nineteen. Uh, the big news for for the Chiefs, though, is that Tom Bahali, a great uh, linebacker for them, he's actually back at practice now. He's not going to play in this game, but it means he may be coming back to join Justin Houston in what is a can be an overpowering defense there in Kansas City. But as far as this game here, the Chiefs are a one-point one rather underdog going into Dallas. As I said with the Cowboys, too, and all you Cowboys fans out there, we've all got friends who are Cowboys fans. We know that. It's, uh, it's our cross to bear. I'm not hating on your squad, but as I said last week before Washington, they haven't proven anything to me yet. They haven't beaten a good team yet. Kansas City is a good football team. I'm taking the Chiefs. All right, now we finally agree. You know, I really <laughs> think the last few weeks, I'm not quite sure what's – well, I know it's gotten into Andy Reid. He gets a little too conservative or does some questionable things, and the fact that Denver was still in that game despite Trevor Simeon playing right. – game is amazing to me, but uh, I, I think they need to get back to basics, which kind of differentiated them at the beginning of the year. Get the ball to Tyreek Hill and Kareem Hunt, and they haven't been doing enough of that. They've been letting Alex Smith throw a little too much to other guys, and you know they're kind of struggling in the red zone. Get away from that. Get to your bread and butter, and I think the defense can stop whoever it is playing running back for Dallas, and uh, I'll say Chiefs. They get back uh, kind of in their winning ways. All righty, good. We finally agree, and we're back on the same page. And then uh, next game, you know what? It's the Sunday night game. Uh, a lot of people are going to be a bit disappointed about it. But, of course, myself being a fan of the Dolphins, and then we've all got friends who are Raider fans too. 
break down this next one for us. Yeah, that in a matchup and where we wish there was a, a game nine or ten or eleven of the World Series to watch. Uh, <laughs> the Raiders go into Miami. They're actually a three-point favorite coming off a tough loss in Buffalo last week. Miami, as we mentioned, got smoked by Baltimore on Thursday night. Um, Oakland stayed out east after the Buffalo game, so really I can't use my uh, little geographical travel theory about traveling <laughs> east. Uh, if for no other reason, uh, I think Miami's kind of at this turning point where it seems to be a little bit of disarray in the locker room um, with a Jai being shipped out of town, questions at quarterback. Uh, I think the Oakland's go in there, uh, excuse me, Oakland goes in there and gets a much needed win. Um, that offense does need to get back on track and maybe there's some opportunity to do it, but uh, got to take, I'm just going off of uh, sheer emotion and past performance, but uh I guess someone's got to win this game, right? Yeah, well, it could end in a tie. But anyways, yeah, three and five Raiders against the uh, the four and three Dolphins. And yeah, for the same reason why I'm picking Atlanta to, to go in and beat Carolina, it's going to be the same thing here with the Raiders. Neither team, neither one of these two teams is playing great football as of late, but less turmoil to deal with with Oakland. I think they're finally going. If, they're gonna, if there's going to be a get-right game, it's got to be this one. So I'm going to go with the Raiders. Uh, it's good to agree at least on two out of five. Yeah, we finished strong. We finished strong. Okay, everybody. So now there's the picks of the week. Absolutely. Here's happy and profitable wagering only in the state of Nevada. <laughs> Where it is legal to do so, of course. Okay, so that's our Gambler's Delight. Now the final segment here, which interests a lot of people. And, of course, get out those legal pads, the pen and paper, and get ready to take notes because here comes the man, many years of experience, and, hey, he's on the money. You can go ahead and check the uh, previous broadcast here. He knows what he's doing. Fantasy football with Mr. Chris Lardieri. Take it away. Why, thank you. I don't deserve that after recommending Matt Moore last week, but let's hope we <laughs> all get past that. So as we've been hitting on the last few weeks, a lot of teams on by. Uh, you're probably going to need a tight end. Uh, with all the injuries, especially looking now at Deshaun Watson, you're probably going to need a quarterback or at least someone to back up. The popular pickup this week, and I agree with it, is Jimmy Garoppolo with the 49ers. That said, I wouldn't pay too much for him with your uh, your fantasy budget just because remains to be seen how long he gets integrated in the offense and really understands it. But that said, if you've got room for him, stash him on your bench. He might be starting by the end of the year and looking to impress the uh, – Coach Shanahan and John Lynch for a long-term contract worth some big money. Keep your eye on him. Uh, with the Colts, Jacoby Brissett, I went out there, picked him up as a backup. Uh, Case Keenum's another one. These guys are not going to get you huge points, but they're good to plug in. You can win and get into the playoffs with a decent fantasy football quarterback. You look at McCown with the Jets. Look for guys like that. Um, had A.J. McCarron gotten traded to the Browns, by the way, I think uh, – you know, a lot of people would have kept their eye on him, but uh, that's another story for another day about the Browns messing that trade up. But I, that was a blast in the past that kind of appeared on people's radars momentarily this week. Uh, with the Ezekiel Elliott situation, a lot of people are going to look for McFadden or Morris as running backs. If you can get them, great. If not, really, don't stress about it. What I would do, especially if you're a Kareem Hunt owner, we've talked about this early in the season, go get Sharkandrick West. He's still getting some reps. If Hunt gets hurt or at any point or even misses a game or – well, maybe just ends up not getting goal line touches. That's a guy to mm -hmm. keep your eye on. Finally, you've got to stream your defenses in the bye weeks. Uh, one I like this week is the Rams that may be sitting out there on your waivers. They play the Giants, enough said. And this team lately has been playing much better on that side of the ball under Wade Phillips. Getting turnovers, I could easily see Eli fumbling or intercepting a few. Uh, 
nothing against my favorite team, the Giants. And then finally, you know, I've got Harrison Butker, a kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs. He has done a phenomenal job, single-handedly won my game for me this week with a 21-point effort. I don't normally advocate keeping two kickers on your team, but if you've got someone like him or a Justin Tucker, an elite kicker like that, don't put those guys out on waivers. They're going to get snapped up. Stash them. Find a second or third-tier wide receiver or running back to release. Stream a kicker for a week and then go pick that guy back up. So that's my advice for the week. Um, good luck to you. We're almost through these bye weeks here. It'll be less and less teams on bye, and then we head into the playoffs, and everyone will be fully staffed. All right, there we go. And by the way, I'd like to offer my condolences to everyone who put money on the Houston Texans yesterday after the injury report came out and then found out, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson gets injured today. That's just the, kind of the way it goes, and that's why they call it a gamble, you know. So, hey, remember, everybody, you can follow on Twitter, uh, follow Mr. Lardieri at Chris L Sports. That's at C H R I S L, just the letter L. Sports. Follow me on Twitter at the Inside Sports. Before we sign off, uh, Mr. Lardieri, final words of wisdom for us. Yeah, you know, uh, getting back to that Browns Bengals trade, have we figured out what happened? Because I heard one story that the Browns didn't send an email or turn the proper paper in, and all, both sides had to do it for the trade to be completed, and then they said it wasn't valid. I don't know. I don't want to be cynical, but I know the Browns screwed something up. Right, Charles? <laughs> hey, they had to have. They're, they've got a history. You know, it's one of those the usual suspects type of thing. And one thing I wanted to add was they talk about, and we, we talk about the whole ratings, NFL ratings being down, uh, you know, for the second year in a row, just incrementally down. But I read an article, and one of the executives at this, one of the TV execs talked about it, and he's mentioned something interesting, whereas – the NFL has become, because of all the different platforms, it's become a sport that is much more followed than watched. And if that's the case, that could be present an interesting problem when you have everybody following your league because of fantasy and everything else and gambling and what have you, but nobody actually watching the games. What exactly do you do at that point? Yeah, then it becomes CNBC, where do you really watch it to see what your stock does, or do you follow it on a financial app, for instance? And look, I've been guilty of this. I'll be out running around on a Sunday, and I look at my fantasy football app or check the NFL mm -hmm. app for scores. I get it. What's interesting, I think, bigger picture is at some point when that TV deal is up again, whether DirecTV keeps Sunday ticket or not, does right. the NFL kind of split it up and say, hey, here's the mobile rights? Because so many people especially youngsters and millennials are watching on mobile devices and they don't have satellite TV or, or old school cable. So keep your eye on that. They've got to get the eyeballs, whether it's a handheld device or a big screen TV. Yeah. And I think they should really, the NFL needs to truly embrace that monster they created in red zone, which is basically the lazy man's way to watch football because you don't really have to see the, uh, the game that's played in the middle of the field and all of the field position. You just get to see when there's about to be a payoff. So they may want to really look at that as something that, you know, if people are just following and not watching games, I think Red Zone will become more and more popular. I'm not crazy about it, but I'm just talking about it from a business standpoint. That may be what they have to do. Oh, yeah. I, I love it. My son and I watch it a lot, but I think what they're going to do is start putting banners with commercials at the bottom because one of the best parts for me at Red Zone is I don't have to see the same commercial over and over and promos for unfunny sitcoms. So they'll figure out a way to slap advertising in that Red Zone platform. 
There we go. Okay, and by the way, a couple of those sitcoms are kind of funny every now and then. But anyways, as we said, remember, it's NFL football talk every single week through the season. I'm Charles E. Smith, Jr. For Mr. Chris Lardieri, thank you for watching. We'll see everybody next week. We want to thank everyone for joining us. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos Game Source and also Inside Sports. This is a special treat for not only Pop Culture Cosmos on our Pop Culture Cosmos channel, but also Inside Sports as it is our annual NBA prediction show. Once again, Gerald Glassford here from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Truly appreciate you joining us. And who better to get into the NBA season as far as predictions, who's you know, going to do what, um, who's eventually going to become uh, out on top and all that. But our NBA man in the know, he is our expert when it comes to the round ball and the association. It's Anthony Barber. And Anthony, it's just truly, again, a pleasure to be talking to you about all the great stuff that's going on in the NBA. Thank you, man. I think I appreciate you having me on as always. Uh, look forward to you know, a quick conversation about what, what we can expect from some of these teams this year and how much fun the NBA is going to be. Well, I, I think we'll be able to, to cover a lot of bases. Uh, I'm going to devote a, uh, you know, a good chunk of time to it. So let's get into it right now. First off, I want to go to the East, Eastern Conference, uh, which is perceived by most experts, including yourself and, and, and uh, whatever uh, little I know. Okay, I know a little bit more about the NBA, but I trying to keep it on the lowdown. Um, but I want to talk about the Eastern Conference first because they are perceived as the weaker conference, and uh, to a lot of people, it's not even close. But when it comes to the Eastern Conference, I want to start off at the top. Who are the three teams that you think, or are three or four, three or four teams that you think will contend for the Eastern Conference uh, best say that at the top of the food chain in the Eastern Conference. Um, well, the number one team is Cleveland. They have LeBron. They have the best player on the planet. Um, last three years, uh, regardless of where they finish, one maybe three, um, they are the favorites in the Eastern Conference to represent that conference in the NBA championship. Uh, don't see anybody knocking them off. I don't think they'll finish with the best record, but I do think they will be the team in the championship. Similar what happened last year, correct? Right. Um, as far as the number one record, I, I actually think uh, Washington with the number one overall seed. I just think they are, they are two games out of the top seed last year, um, and they have the continuity together to be able to um, put together enough wins to get that top seed. That's a, a good point because i tell you what, when it comes to Washington, like you said, the cohesiveness because they've been together as a collective starting unit for two, three years now, as opposed to Cleveland and Boston, which are always changing in flux. And even if Cleveland and Boston might be better at the tail end of the season, that might be enough to at least get the Washington Wizards their chance at the top. So... Uh, for at least for as far as to get that first seed. But I, I, I agree with you as far as Cleveland's concerned. 
I think uh, there'll be enough resting of LeBron over the course of the year, maybe to shave off about five to ten wins. So they'll be coming in as a second and third seed. But they don't. that doesn't really bother them because when it comes to the actual playoffs, it looks like Cleveland, if Isaiah Thomas is healthy when he, you know, hopefully he can come back around the latter part of the season. If he is healthy with that hip and productive, almost as productive as he was in Boston, that could be a great sign for Cleveland to come out on top in the in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, season it's all about second half of the season, um, going in with momentum, going in, you know, basically clicking on all cylinders, um, getting everybody comfortable with each other. Um, I think they'll tinker with that lineup throughout the course of the season to see um, what's the right fit goals with who, how to get the floor spread. Um, so I think it'll take them a little time to hit their stride. Um, Boston, I'm not sold on defensively. I think um, a lot of their heart and what they wanted to do, um, how scrappy they were, a lot of those pieces away to get what they believe they needed to get over the hump. Um, so I think they will lose some of those closer games um, that their defense – Lee and Jay Crowder helped them to win. Toronto was pretty close as well. I mean, the top four seeds were really close to each other on Easter Conference last year. Um, I just don't know if they'll be healthy enough with what um, Kyle Lowry went through last year, um, if he's going to be able to play enough games for them to, um, to get that number one seed. However, I do think Jay Miles' addition – and uh, Damari Carroll wasn't really a good fit there. I think that will help them as a unit. But I think Washington and the Eastern Conference will probably end up with the number one seed. But I still expect um, sorry, Cleveland to uh, come out of the East. Uh, I, I agree with you on that. I don't think Toronto is as strong this year. And obviously they have histories of injuries with Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, uh, where they cannot be trusted to be going through a full season and and seeing them on top uh, would be, uh, for me, a stretch indeed. Now, there's also, uh, when it comes to the top eight seats, there's also the you know, fifth through eighth, and, and there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be contending for those bottom spots in the Eastern Conference. I have uh, Milwaukee as one of my teams that could surprise. They've got some, some depth, and they also have some young very talented, also as well, very athletic, and also very long defensively. And I think they could surprise a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference. But who are some of the other teams that you think that can grab those lower-end spots in the Eastern Conference? I was looking at that this morning, actually throughout the week. I, I see Milwaukee, uh, like you said, making it Charlotte has a good opportunity to make it. Thing, I think Miami will make it. I think those will be the other three teams. But anywhere, anybody from Detroit, I mean, to Philadelphia, if they're healthy, I, I don't think Brooklyn will make it. I don't think the Knicks will make it. Um, I think – I don't think the Bulls will make it. But, you know, Indiana has some some young talent. They only won 42, 42 games last year. But, you know, anything can happen. I think – the top seven will be, you know, the original top four with Milwaukee, Miami, 
and Charlotte, in my opinion, a major toss-up. Uh, and, there, and there's going to be a lot of teams heading for those bottom spots. Philadelphia could surprise, but it, like you said, it all depends on their health because they, they, they have probably as much talent as probably almost anyone in the Eastern Conference, but the problem is their, their talent's still young and their talent has never proven to be healthy as of yet. But if Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Markel Fultz, they combine to be a very healthy uh, triumvirate, they can also be, become a very strong one. And I see a progression similar to what Minnesota has done in the Western Conference. I see them in probably not this season making the playoffs. They probably will just miss, but you know, because they'll, they'll probably be getting everything in tune by that time. But I see a year from now them becoming a, a very, very strong force in the Eastern Conference. You also have, like you said, Miami. A lot of signings which left me scratching my head as far as free agents are concerned, but they ended the season very strong, and I see them doing enough to maybe sneak in. Charlotte, you talked about, had a, a, a down year last year, but they've got a talent base that, that looks like it can defensively and rebounding can really, really put up some numbers. Uh, there's some there's some decent teams overall in the Eastern Conference. Indiana getting rid of Paul George uh, that uh, because he wanted to go. Right. It makes it harder for them. They've got some nice young talent that you said, but I, I don't think see it happening can coming to fruition just yet. Uh, Chicago. Chicago is going to be uh, a tough season, I think, for people in in the Windy City that uh, are, are loving the Bulls, and they're going to have to. You know, reflect back on their Jordan era because it, it's just not going to be a great year this year in, in the Windy City. So, but there's there's some good teams out there in the Eastern Conference. Definitely, both you and I are are in agreement. I think on Chicago and Washington actually taking the top seed overall this regular season doesn't sound like a stretch indeed. Seeing how they're so cohesive, but again, with them, it all the, uh, goes on health because they're not a very deep team again this year. So. But if it does go right, I definitely see a strong outing from them. With that said, we've, we've covered the Eastern Conference. Uh, there's a lot of great action going on there, and we'll, we'll do so throughout the season. But also as well, we're going to cover the Western Conference. And I know you and I both know, again, this sounds like a broken record from last year when we covered at this point in time. But uh, looks like it is Golden State and the rest of the field. But... I'll let you talk a little bit more about your thoughts on, on what's going on with the – let's go for the top seeds in the Western Conference. Um, you said there's Golden State and then there's everybody else. I think Golden State will win 66 games. Um, they'll, they'll be the number one seed overall, both conferences. Um, they're the favorite to make it out of the Western Conference. Uh, I think they're – their position at the top is pretty much solidified, um, barring any injury. I mean, they've been very fortunate, probably the most fortunate team as far as injuries in the league the last few years. So if that continues, you, I mean, you can expect what you've seen. I think the other three of the top four teams will be San Antonio, Oklahoma City, Houston. I think those are overseas in the Western Conference. And I ask you this because your four is similar to what my four top four would be, and probably everyone else's. But you know, second through fourth, it seems to be a little bit of a mixed bag as far as what everybody is thinking, as far as 
who slots in where second to third to fourth. I have right now, and I'm think probably going, been going back for uh, you know this week, and I'll probably go over the next few days before I start writing up any NBA predictions. But I have right now, I'm going to say Houston uh, as the second seed, but Oklahoma City to me is not that far behind. Obviously, the new additions in Houston of Chris Paul, and also with Oklahoma City, it's it's Paul George and Carmelo Anthony make things different in the Western Conference. But don't forget about San Antonio because San Antonio, with if Kawhi Leonard gets back healthy, uh, they could prove to be back to their winning 55-plus games as normal. So I want to hear your thoughts on how those second, third, and fourth seeds line up this NBA season. For me, with uh, San Antonio, it, it all depends on the health of Kawhi Leonard. I think they get the second seed. Last year they won, I believe, 61 games. It's just, you know, it's that Greg Popovich magic. He knows exactly what to do. He knows how to get his team to be professional every night, come out and play. If they don't, he blasts them. Um, he doesn't sugarcoat. So I, I think San Antonio, the number two seed, barring you know, injuries. Uh, Houston, I think Houston, they won 55 games, if I'm not mistaken, last year. I don't see them winning a whole lot more. I know Chris Paul's the addition and – you know, that, you know, tends to make people think, oh, it's an automatic jump of, you know, 10 wins or so. But I I, I think they'll win um, probably three to four more games. So, you know, uh, I can see them winning 58. I think his impact is more so for the postseason than the regular season. I think the way they play is conducive to winning games, period. Oklahoma City, on the other hand, I think, you know, they got two major new pieces. And I think that Westbrook – as, as dominant as he is, when they hit the second half of the season, you can see them going on those runs where, you know, they run off 13, 14, 15 in a row. I think they have that kind of talent, so take time for them to mesh. So those are my, my four. I think Golden State, San Antonio, probably Houston third, and Oklahoma City fourth in the top four seeds. Those are some excellent choices right there. And I agree, there will be a learning curve in place for the triumvirate of Mello, PG-13, and also Russell Westbrook, those three getting together. But by the end of the season, they could be a very formidable force and prove to be a somewhat uh, very uh, difficult out when it comes to later on in the playoffs. But we'll talk about that in here in a second. The West is stacked with a lot of great teams and I wanted to talk to you with about the last four teams because there are a lot of teams and a lot of very good teams which you and I if you we were talking about them in the Eastern Conference would be much higher but there are a lot of teams fighting for those last four spots in the Western Conference who do you think will actually be there at the end in the in the Western Conference when it comes to slots five six seven and eight um. Pretty much, it'll it'll shake out the way it did last year. I think there'll be a two-team switch. However, I think uh, Minnesota's in. I think Minnesota, bring any injuries, should win 50 games. Um, with the additions that they made, with the talent that they have, um, I think they'll make a push for probably the, f- the fifth seed. Um, they're they're going to be right there. I think that can make it. I, I want to see um, the 
you know, the Gallinari movement, how that affects them. But that they had last year, they won 40 games. Uh, they went on, on, on a roll um, at some point, you know, mid to end of the season. I think uh, with, with the offseason, um, I think they'll be in, in a good position to make it. I think Portland. Portland is in. I think the final team to be in – who did I put in? Who am I taking out? Um, so Denver and Minnesota are the two teams that I think will make the jump. Um, I think Memphis will fall out. No, some people still have high hopes on Utah. I don't know if they're going to get through the, the Gordon Hayward move. Um, so I think I think they'll fall out. But I think the rest of the Western Conference, you know, will pretty much shake out the way it has. But uh, that last team, you still haven't chosen that last team? That might I still haven't chosen. <laughs> okay. Because um, that so just tells I everybody have, out there how difficult this is it, as far as finding. Really is. Uh, you know, it looks like about seven or eight teams uh, that can probably squeeze into those last four spots. But there is that final team. So I'd like to hear, you know, what do you think might be that last team? Because I have some thoughts myself. Okay. So I have Golden State, San Antonio, Houston, Oklahoma City, Los Angeles. And my final team, I'm probably going to say, I think Dallas. See, I know New Orleans, you know, they have the two big guns. But to me, they just haven't the rest of their roster. Got on a good run, but they started out so poorly that um, they just couldn't make up the ground. I think if without those injuries early in the season, I think they'll be able to squeak out, you know, 40, 42, 43 wins in that AFC. Uh, those are some great, great thoughts indeed. Well, for me, I will tell you, like I said, I've, I've got similar to what you have when it comes to the top four seeds in Golden State, Houston. San Antonio and also Oklahoma City. My bottom four, which are going to be no slouches, and like I said, if we were talking to them in the Eastern Conference, they would be taught right at their right there at the top. I will be going with Portland. I will be going with Minnesota. Those two teams, I think, are poised to do good things. As far as Nurkic going over to Portland was a great thing for them. Plus, they've got that great backcourt of McCollum, I'm sorry, and also Lillard. So that that those three, if they can really mesh, I think there's going to be great things. Also as well, Minnesota, like you said, with Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Wiggins, and also their newest arrival, Jimmy Butler. Those, those three can uh, really make things happen in Minnesota. So you've got two teams right there, but the last two slots are really going to be up for grabs. And I'm going to go right now. I'm thinking right now Denver, I think, will make the playoffs this year. Paul Millsap, his addition will bring a defensive-minded toughness that will put them not near the top, but at least get them enough in the right direction so that they – because they still have a prolific offense, and I think they're still going to be able to score points whenever they want to. Being able to stop teams is the question, and I think they'll have just enough defensive toughness to go around with Paul Millsap, I think that definitely will help them there to slide into that seven seed. The number eight seed, that is the toughest and up for grabs thing. I tell you what, that is crazy indeed. You've got the Utah, the Clippers, 
New Orleans, like you said, with Dallas, uh, Memphis. You've got all these teams vying for that last spot, which are all right around each other in talent, quality, and whatnot. I think right now I'm going to go on the on the fence, and I'm going to probably say Utah. I think the Clippers just narrowly miss it because I, I'm not convinced Blake Griffin can be healthy an entire season as of yet. And if he is not healthy, they don't have a Chris Paul to, to rely on, and I think that that's the issue I have there. But I think Utah will be very, very def, uh, solid defensively. They might not have uh, uh, they might have issues scoring points, but I think they'll be, if they're going to keep a lot of games in the 80s and 90s, they're going to be very, very tough for people to have great games against. So I think they will be able to sneak into that last spot. But uh, you know, it's going to be a toss up between, like I said. Dallas, New Orleans, if they could find something besides the Twin Towers that are there, if somebody can shoot outside besides the Twin Towers that are there, that'd be great. Uh, also, as well, you've got uh, uh, really solid teams as well with, uh, like I said, Utah and the Clippers and Memphis. You cannot sleep on them. They they might find a way to sneak in once again and uh, defy the odds again this year. But great things going about. Uh, as far as teams like Phoenix, uh, the Lakers, uh, my Lakers, I, th- I see them, you know, getting a few more games, but they're still a work in progress, and and there's still a long ways to go there. Phoenix, I, I like as a team on the rise, as far as to at least get into a point where they look like a more competitive team. The Sacramento Kings, uh, I know that that's it, that's going to be another work in progress as well, as far as trying to get that team to to listen to as far as to their coach and and become a better unit now that they've got some veteran influences there. But those are some great teams and great picks indeed, but it comes right down to the playoffs. Anthony, I want to hear your thoughts. When it comes down to the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference, who are the four teams that are going to survive as far as the two teams in the Eastern Conference and the two teams in the West, and who comes out in each? Well, let's start with the Eastern Conference. Again, Cleveland will be there. Um, I just think they're built for it. They have the best player in the world. They have, you know, championship experience now. Uh, most of the guys on that team have won. You got Dwayne Wade. I think they're poised and, and they're built to, you know, compete for this championship at least one more year. I think it'll it'll it could shake out to where they fall in in their um, because I don't think they're just the cakewalk to conference finals that I know everybody, you know, they went to the finals last year and they're going, okay, well, they added Kyrie. Um, now it's time for them to just, you know, they'll probably lose to Cleveland. But I, I think it's between them and the Wizards, and, and I'm going to venture to say, um, I know this is a little bit of a hot take, I guess. <laughs> I think I think Washington beats them. That's I just think- yeah, I, I that's think that's what I was gonna say. So that's excellent, excellent. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think Washington beats. I think Washington beats them if they if they have to play them. Um, if they have to play Toronto, then I think you know they then, then uh, Boston will make it. But if they have to play Washington, then I think Washington will beat them and they'll meet uh, Cleveland in the conference finals and, and lose to Cleveland. The Western <laughs> in the Western Conference, uh, you know, there's Golden State. Uh, there is else uh, but but the thing about it is like I said earlier uh, they've been the most fortunate team over the last three to four seasons when it comes to injury they haven't had anything happen 
um, in the Western Conference, I think has loaded up pretty much for that possibility. I mean, you go into a series with them and, and one injury can change that whole series because they've loaded up, you know, when you talk about San Antonio, Oklahoma City, uh, Houston, to be one mishap away from being able to come out of that series. Though that the two teams, I, I, for, for me, there are two teams that, that I feel like can compete against Golden State, um, and that's San Antonio and, and Oklahoma City. Um, I think they have the, the, the individual talent to be able to compete with them enough. But I think in the end, um, Golden State will, will conference in the NBA Finals. That's uh, some excellent predictions indeed, and almost a mirror to what I'm about to say in regards to the playoffs are concerned. Uh, when it comes to the Eastern Conference, it is going to be Cleveland, but like you said, it's all about positioning. So if, let's say, for instance, they end up number four and Washington's number four, I think they'll just be Washington then. But I think that is going to be the toughest test for them is the Washington Wizards team out there as far as uh, I think Boston um, I do like getting I do like the Kyrie Irving trade let's get that off the bat but uh, I don't think their team is is set for uh, the long haul like it was last season I think it's going to take one more year of the young forwards Tatum and also as well Brown to really get into things as far as becoming a major force for the Celtics I see them next year being an even more uh, solidifying force and I, I really think that uh, this year even if Boston gets to the Eastern Conference Finals if by like I said positioning I still think Cleveland has advantage uh, over anyone in that area and when it comes to the Western Conference like you said it, it all depends on the on the positioning one through four but at this point in time I'm going to say it is Golden State over Houston but you know San Antonio or Oklahoma City however whoever is number two seed in that area I definitely will have the advantage as far as up until they get to Golden State. And then, then, like you said, with health, if their health is good, there should be no stopping Golden State in the Western Conference. So that leaves us both almost like, well, exactly like we were (laughs) last year and the year before that and the year before that with Golden State and Cleveland in the finals, almost like a broken record. But, hey, props to those two franchises for doing the right things. Your thoughts on who eventually comes out on top this year in the NBA Finals, your predictions of Golden State versus Cleveland in the Finals once again. State, Cleveland in the Finals. Golden State will have home court advantage. I think now we're, we're, we're speaking both teams completely healthy, both teams, you know, nobody, nobody's down, everybody's there. I think that Golden State will pull it out. I think they'll win their third and four. In four years, a lot closer than last year. I, I honestly think last year wasn't as wide of a gap as, as was perceived. Um, but I, I think this year it'll be Golden State in six or seven. That's a, that's a great prediction indeed. I actually think a little bit on the opposite side, even if Isaiah Thomas is healthy, because I think defensively they are much worse off without and i can't believe i'm saying this without with kyrie irving because kyrie irving is one of the worst defensive guards there but isaiah thomas is even worse than he is so <laughs> yeah. uh, and and then you got 
Dwayne Wade, who is no longer Speedy Dwayne Wade anymore. Derek Rose, he and Dwayne Wade, if they're not playing at a top level come the playoffs uh, and in the finals, that's going to be an issue because they can't hit threes. So they may see very limited time as well. And it, it will take a, a lot as far as the other players from Corver and, and you're relying a lot on players who have not been able to to get it done in the NBA Finals so far. So for me, I think it will be a, a little bit easier ride for Golden State if they're healthy because I think Golden State is even deeper this year with Nick Young and Omar Caspri taking those slots. So at this point in time, I if barring health and any issues of that nature, I think Golden State may even do it in a sweep. So... I think, uh, like I said, LeBron is, is a great player. He's the best player on the planet still at this point in time. But uh, it's just going to be very hard for them to match up when Isaiah Thomas is on the floor with them. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of issues there. And also as well, you've got not enough shooting from the backcourt that will help uh, unless J.R. Smith gets a lot of burn and he is going to be out there playing a lot majority of the minutes because again and then it goes back to the situation where they still can't guard Steph they may will be able to slow down Kevin Durant a little bit but then you've got the issue of Curry and Thompson could really blow up against that backcourt of Cleveland so I see Golden State coming out on top again like you said for the third time in four years so any last thoughts on the NBA seasons Uh, anything that you're interested in looking at and and anything you want everybody to uh, take a look at when uh, you know the season comes around? Two things. One on on what you said about Cleveland. I, I think I kind of agree with you, but my thoughts is that to his senses and put J.R. Smith in the starting lineup so that they have some shooting on the perimeter um, at least until Isaiah comes back. Um, right now, with Wade on the floor, I think the floor is shrunk which is really going to cause some problems. And that's why I'm saying that's why I'm saying I think it'll be easier for Golden State. If they throw that lineup out there against Golden State, they're really going to get hurt. I I agree. I hopes is that he'll come to his senses and realize that if you can you can throw Wade with Rose and court, you know, those guys in your second unit is much stronger. I think they should kind of keep the first unit intact of what they had last year. Um I know they're going with which is fine. I just think that uh, you can't not have the shooting on the floor uh, with Wade. I think you should let him be the leader of the second group, let him command that group. Um, so one, that you can keep LeBron off the floor some, uh, give, give him less minutes, let him be more well-rested. Um, I, so I, I agree with you and I disagree. I think if Tyron Luke can realize that, you know, bring your guys off the bench then I think it gets better but if he tries to throw that you know line up out there yeah then I, I think it'll be trouble I and, and I, I agree with you if he does that if he, if he realizes that because it creates more shooting and remember Cleveland when they won in the finals they were uh, the most prolific offensive team in history when they did that as far as in the NBA finals are concerned for the game that they won they cannot play defense strong enough to beat the Golden State Warriors. They have to beat them at their O game, and it starts with a whole lot of great shooting. 
And if, like you said, he makes the arrangements and puts those egos aside, because I think that's what it comes right down to. It's about all about egos with, with Rose and also as well Wade, you know, making sure that they're taken care of and placated. But if they come off the bench like they should, then maybe that makes it a much more competitive series. We'll have to wait and see. But I definitely still think whatever lineups they throw out there, that Golden State over a seven-game series can consistently uh, prove out to be on top because you're asking a lot from a lot of those players to to produce like they never did before. And they were able to do it in one game last year. Could they do it in more? We'll have to wait and see. But definitely a, with you and I both thinking that it's, it's going to be a, a, another great finals indeed uh, with Golden State coming out on top. But Anthony, just great to have you on again. You are man in the know. It's Anthony Barberin. We're, we're just so glad to, to be able to talk the NBA season predictions. And I'll tell you what, we're going to get together again uh, over you know a few times over the course, hopefully the rest of the season, talk about their thoughts as far as on the way through. And, and hopefully we can get more of your keen insight on the NBA as the season goes forward. Thanks for having me. I always love coming on. I'm up for it anytime you're ready. Sounds good, my friend. And I wish you best of luck with your Clippers. And I I know that they're going to be a little bit ahead of the game when it comes to, uh, you know, where my Lakers will stand. But it's all about health. If Blake Griffin stays healthy, their outlook looks a lot better. But you and I know it's all about Mr. BG as far as staying healthy there. So um, Absolutely. Absolutely, um, yeah. Think it'll be tough being healthy if they if they can be healthy if he can play 70 72 games if you can get that from Gallinari then I think they'll they'll be right there I think they have one of the tougher schedules as far as road uh, they have like three or four games on the road consecutively that that are tough I mean like three game road trips but health is is like you said is is their main concern. Uh, definitely, if that's the case, uh, the Clippers will be looking good indeed if they're healthy. Lakers, they're they're hopefully a team on the rise, but they're looking forward to free agency of next year. Let's let's just put it right out right. there. But, um, uh, yeah, let's. Yeah, I'm hoping Ball and Kuzma will provide that lift as far as uh, you know rookies are concerned. But we'll talk about that on a future episode as Anthony Barberin, our man in the know when it comes to NBA, rejoins us right here on Pop Culture Cosmos and Inside Sports. Once again, if, you, if you're catching us on Inside Sports, we truly appreciate you doing so. Catch the Pop Culture Cosmos show every Monday and Friday when it drops on Apple Podcasts and so many other outlets. And also as well, if you're watching this on Pop Culture Cosmos, we truly thank you as well. And also catch us on the Inside Sports show every Wednesday from our good friends at Humanic Media. Anthony Barberin, our man in the know. It's just truly great to have you on again and being part of Pop Culture Cosmos and Inside Sports. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good luck to your Lakers this year. They need it. <laughs> but, you know, it'll be a fun season. I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping for good games, for everything that the NBA brings. Uh, as am I, my friend, as am I. And we'll be able to talk about it over the NBA season. Truly a pleasure having you on. Once again, Anthony Barberin, our man in the know when it comes to the NBA, right here at Pop Culture Cosmos and Inside Sports. Brank here from Super BS. 
talking about the things you know you love and the things you'd love to know. Join us weekly for a podcast about video games. Mostly. <laughs>